This week on Vedic Mythology, Music, and Mantras, Anapurni, the Benevolent Goddess of Food. This netcast is provided by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web. It's an interesting feature of the Vedic tradition, and something that we've discussed many times here in this netcast, that goddesses have a lot of power. They are Shakti, the animators of the universe, without whom nothing would happen, and, as we've enjoyed in these netcasts, whenever Brahma or Shiva grants a boon to some aspiring yogi or rakshasa, who then goes and gets so powerful that they start to cause trouble, it's the goddesses who always come along to take care of things and set the universe right. Usually these goddesses are either fierce or have a fierce form who mythologically does battle with the various demons. Kali, Durga, Pratangara all come to mind. And of course we also have the fierce forms of even beneficent goddesses, such as Vijaya Lakshmi, the Lakshmi of Victory. But there is only one form of goddess who is always 100% completely beneficent, Sarvamangala in Sanskrit, and that is Anapurni Devi, a form of Parvati, Shiva's wife. She is shown seated, holding a bowl of food and a large ladle with which she feeds those who pursue truth and liberation. Anapurni, as a form of Parvati, originated in Kasi, or Banaras in the northeast of India, and she's associated with the Vishwanatha temple there. The fierce form of Shiva, called Kalabhairava, is the protector of Kasi, and it was this form of Shiva who burned off the fifth head of Brahma. There are several versions of this story, but the one that I find most amusing is that when Brahma found Saraswati, he wanted to marry her, and he was so enamored of her that he just wouldn't let her alone. He was sufficiently obsessed with her that, in addition to his foreheads, one each for north, south, east, and west, he added another one on top of his head looking up. Well, Saraswati had the reputation of being both shy and a little bit cranky, So this complete lack of privacy profoundly annoyed her, and she complained to Shiva. Well, Shiva attempted to reason with Brahma, who would of course have none of it. Shiva asked nicely, but Brahma reminded him that it was he who was the creator, and he could do as he pleased. Well, Shiva didn't care much for this attitude, and reminded Brahma just who was the destroyer of creation. And in his anger, Shiva burned off Brahma's fifth head, so Saraswati could have some privacy. There was a problem with this, because it meant that Shiva had killed a Brahmin, and that is the most egregious of all sins. And so the sin took the form of a woman who relentlessly followed Shiva around no matter where he went. And the disembodied head of Brahma attached itself to Shiva, and he couldn't get it off. It was just stuck. So finally, Shiva went to Kasi, a place that is so sacred, so holy, that the woman and Brahma's head couldn't enter and Shiva was freed from them. And one of the other versions of the story has Shiva assuming the form of a beggar who has to wander around begging for alms using the skull from Brahma as his begging bowl. Parvati, who wanted to help him, takes the form of Anapurni and feeds Shiva from her abundance. She makes a deal with him that if he will guide humanity towards enlightenment, she will take responsibility for feeding them. And in the Vishwanatha temple in Kasi, you find Shiva with his begging bowl, accepting alms from Anapurni. In the Vedic tradition, Jyotish, or astrology, plays an important role, both in predicting the flow of an individual's life, 
but also as a method of diagnosing and treating whatever troubles may come into one's life. The father of Jyotish is Maharishi Parsha, the grandson of Brahma, the creator. His masterwork of Jyotish is called the Brihat Parashara Horashastra, and in addition to laying out the basic rules of astrological analysis, it gives methods for alleviating the bad karmas that are destined to be experienced in this lifetime. Interestingly, in addition to mantras, pujas, and yagyas that one might expect, there's much credence in this book given to the power of giving, specifically the offering of food to Brahmins. In one section, to relieve the afflictions to the various planets, Parashara outlines the number of times a specific planetary mantra should be repeated, and then gives some details for the specific offerings that are to be made into the yagya fire, followed by a list of foods to be fed to Brahmin priests who perform the yagya ritual. Feasting the Brahmins with foods like rice cooked with jaggery sugar, rice cooked in milk, havishya, paddy cooked in milk, curd rice, rice with ghee, rice baked with sesame, and rice cooked with dal will propitiate the planets Sun, Moon, Mars, Mercury, Jupiter, Venus, Saturn, Rahu, and Ketu, respectively. But embracing all possibilities, as it does, the Vedic tradition also holds that there's nothing more powerful than a simple offering given with sincerity. It seems that Parvati and Shiva like to spend their time debating and arguing over some fine point of philosophy or spirituality. And one day, Parvati asked Shiva which impressed him more, the elaborate and expensive rituals that performed in temples or simple service to humanity. Shiva replied that the rituals were inferior because they were so much easier to do and didn't require the same degree of personal involvement. In fact, Shiva maintained that few people really acted from the heart even when they had the opportunity to do so. Parvati couldn't believe this was true, and so Shiva decided to prove it to her, and they went to Kasi, the city of Shiva located on the banks of the Ganga River. The tradition in Kasi is to go to the banks of the Ganga and take some water to the Vishwanatha, Shiva, temple, where it would be poured over the Shiva Lingam. And so there were long lines of devotees, each with their pot of water waiting to go into the temple. Shiva and Parvati took the form of a very old, very poor couple, she as an 80-year-old woman, and he a very frail 90-year-old man. They sat down outside the temple, and Shiva laid his head in Parvati's lap and started to moan in distress. As the line of pilgrims walked by, Parvati, as the old woman, cried for someone to help her and at least give her husband some water, which, of course, everyone had in abundance. But all the pilgrims said to wait until they'd offered the water to Vishwanatha first, and then they would come and help. And some even complained about the presence of beggars on the steps of the temple, saying they shouldn't be allowed to sit there and obstruct their access. Well, obviously, as one might expect, no one would help the old man and the old woman. But shortly, a pickpocket was walking by and heard the woman's plea for help. He stopped and asked what was going on, and the old woman explained that her husband had taken ill and needed at least a little water to drink, but that no one would help them. So off the pickpocket went to get some water. As he returned and was about to pour the water into the old man's mouth, the old woman said, Stop. He cannot be destined to live long, but he will only accept water from someone who speaks the truth. The pickpocket didn't really understand at first, but after thinking about it for a moment, said, 
Well, I haven't done any good deeds in this life. I'm just a pickpocket who steals from others. So this is my first good deed, to give water to this old man. And he poured water into the mouth of the old man, who then stood up and resumed his form as Shiva, Lord of the universe, much to the surprise of the pickpocket and, no doubt, the people standing in line. Shiva said, My friend, you are certainly blessed. There is no greater blessing or morality than speaking the simple truth. There is no more heartfelt or higher worship of me than to be of service to your less fortunate fellow human beings. You are forgiven all your sins. Shiva turned to Parvati and smiled. His point made, argument won, and with that they returned to Kailas. This image of food as being a part of selfless giving finds its way into many different stories in the Vedic tradition, and one of the most widely known is the story of Shankara and the poor woman. Shankara was a very famous and influential saint in South India, whose teachings have had a lasting impact on all of India, particularly in the Shiva tradition. He, will, uh, he was widely known for composing wonderful slokas in praise of the goddesses, and his verses are both simple and melodic. One day he was walking in a small town in South India when, as is the tradition for a sannyasi, he stopped at a Brahmin's house to ask for alms for his lunch. The woman inside was very poor, and all she had were a couple of old, dried-out amala fruits. And she was so ashamed at her lack of ability to pro provide proper his hospitality that she just opened her door the smallest amount, stuck her hand out, and dropped the two fruits into Shankara's bowl. Shankara was amazed at her generosity and, being a saint, composed the 22-verse Kanakadara Stotram for Lakshmi, which asks Lakshmi to be merciful to this poor woman and relieve her from her poverty. Well, Lakshmi appears to Shankara and explains that this woman in her previous life had not given anything in charity to others and was simply receiving the results of her own past actions. Shankara replied that while that may indeed be true, the woman had given him the, the fruit, knowing that it left her nothing to cook for her husband or to eat for herself. Well, Lakshmi was moved to compassion and showered the woman with golden amala fruits, and her poverty was ended. The Kanakadara Stotram is very sweet and melodic, as is typical of Shankara's compositions, and certainly reflects the divine nature of his spiritual vision, with a certain sense of humor as he compares Lakshmi to a honeybee, flitting from flower to flower. It's also interesting that these stotras are both songs in praise of, in this case, Lakshmi, but they are also mantras which, when properly learned and recited, have the power to manifest the blessings of Lakshmi as the conveyor of wealth. As such, the meaning uh, is rather less important, and a translation becomes a difficult thing because there are layers of meaning and context it's also difficult because you find sections like the verses 12, 13, 14, and 15, which when translated seem to be just a repetitive list of Lakshmi's attributes, but in Sanskrit are rather delightful to recite because of their rhythm. For example, each line of, ver of, the, of these four verses begins with the word namastu, which means something like I bow down in reverence and humility, but it lacks the sense of formality and grandness that the English words have. And each line ends with the A-I sound, which imparts a certain rhythm and continuity. So you have in verse 13 the following, Namastu hemam bhuja piti kaye 
Namasto bhu mandala naikaye, Namastu devati daya praye, Namastu saranga yudhavala baye. So let's use salutations as our rough translation for namastu, even though it's totally inadequate. And thus the four lines might be translated a little bit like this. Salutations to she who has a golden lotus as a seat. Salutations to she who is the ruler of the universe. Salutations to she who showers the blessings on the gods. Salutations to she who is the wife of he who has a bow called Saranga, meaning Vishnu. But I think it seems like a fairly flat catalog of characteristics which misses the light and joyfulness of the original Sanskrit. I'm hoping to convey some sense of why Sanskrit is sometimes called the language of devotion. And I'm certainly not pretending to be a Sanskrit scholar, but let me offer a brief and fairly liberal translation of Kanakadara Stotram. Each verse contains some reference to her glances being brief, but powerful and joyful. And her glances are also compared to the flight of a bee who rests upon a flower only beef briefly. So here's Kanakadara Stotram. May the divine glance of Lakshmi who rests on the chest of the reclining Vishnu bless me with wealth and comfort. May the beautiful glances of the daughter of the ocean of milk confer wealth upon me. These glances going back and forth to the face of Vishnu are like the honeybee going to and from the blue lotus. Her glance confers great bliss even upon Vishnu himself. May her unwinking eyes bring prosperity to me. She, glancing at Vishnu reclining on the serpent Adisesha, finds herself full of love and partly closes her eyes in bliss and devotion to her husband. Like a streak of lightning on a dark black cloud, she shines seated on the chest of Vishnu. May this mother of the universe see me and bless me with prosperity. May her eyes, which appear like a garland of sapphires and which give such pleasure to her Lord, bring me wealth and comfort. She who is capable of making one the king of the gods, equal to Indra, may her blue lotus eyes glance upon me just a little. She who can grant a place in heaven difficult to attain, may her sparkling eyes like the fully opened lotus fall upon me and grant all my desires. Please send your mercy which is like the wind, shower the rain of wealth on this parched dry land, and quench the thirst of this little Chataka bird, and drive away my load of sins. She is the goddess of knowledge, the wife of Vishnu, the power of death at the time of dissolution, who does the creation, protection, and destruction of the universe at various times. My salutations go to you. You are the Vedas, the source of good deeds, of knowledge, and of beauty. You are Shakti, who lives in the thousand petal lotus. My salutations to you, the wife of Vishnu, and the goddess of plenty. I honor you who are as pretty as the lotus in bloom, born from the ocean of milk, the sister of nectar and the moon. I honor you who has the golden lotus as a seat, the leader of the universe, who showers her mercy and blessings upon the gods and is the wife of all-powerful Vishnu. I honor you who are the light in the lotus flower, who is the earth and the mother of the earth. You are the giver of wealth and pleasure, the one who makes one a king. To you who has lotus-like eyes, to whom mantras remove all miseries quickly, to my mother I offer reverence. Even Vishnu worships the briefest of your glances. 
He who is blessed with all wealth and prosperity values you above all, and you are the queen of his heart. She who sits on the lotus and holds a lotus in her hands, who is dressed in white with flower garlands and sandal paste, the wife of Vishnu, who gladdens the mind, who confers prosperity on the three worlds, please show compassion to me. The eight elephants of the eight directions pour Ganga water from eight vessels for you, Gajalakshmi, for your bath. Please turn your compassionate glance on me, for I am the poorest of the poor. Make me a vessel to receive your manifold blessings. He who daily recites this stotram, devoted to she who is the personification of the Vedas, she who is the mother of the three worlds, she who is known as Lakshmi, this person will be free of doubt, will be blessed with all good qualities, will enjoy great blessings, and will live in the world with recognition from even the most learned. So, of course, we have to start with a nice traditional recording of Kanakadara Stotram. So now you can hear the chanting of what we have just translated. And then we'll follow that with a more modern musical rendition of Anapurna Stotram for Anapurni Devi, the goddess of food. And to complete the three forms of the goddess, we'll conclude this week's netcast with a lively recitation of Saraswati Nava Ratnamala. Nava is nine, Ratna is a gem, gemstone, and Mala is a necklace. So this stotram is a necklace of nine gems for Saraswati. And as always, thanks very much for listening. Be sure to sign up for the netcast newsletter on the web at pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Ate Sri Kanakadara Stotram Angam Hare Pulaka Bhojanamashayanti Brunganganeva Mukula Bharanam Tamalam Angi Kritakila Vibhuti Rapangalila Mangalyadas to Mama Mangala Devataya Mukta Muguru Vidadati Vadane Murare Prematrava Pranigitani Gatagatani Mala Drishor Madhukareva Mahopaleya Same Shriam Dishatu Sagara Sambhavaya Amiritakshamadigamyamudamukundam Ananda Gandamanimejamanangatantram Ake Karastitakani Nikapakshmanetram Bhutye Bhavain Mamabhujanga Shayanganaya Bhakvantare Madhujita Shritakaustuheya Haravali Vaharini Lamayi Vipati Kama Pradabhagavato Vikatakshamala Kalyanama Bhagatume Kamalalayaya Kalambudali Lalitora Sikaita Bhare Dharadare Spuratiyadalitanganeva Matusamasta Jagatam Mahaniya Murtihi Vadrani Medishatu Bhargavanandanaya Praptam Padam Pratamatakaliyat Prabhavad Mangalyabhaji Madhumati Niman Matena Mayabhadetta Dihamantara Mikshanadham Mandala Samjamakarala Yaganyakaya Vishwamarendra Padavibramatana Daksham Ananda Hetura Dikamura Vidvishopi Ishan Nishita to Maikshanami Shanadam Indivaro Dara Vindiraya Ishta Vishta Matayopeya Dayar Dra Vishta Papadam Sulabam Labante 
दृष्टि प्रकृष्ट कमलोदर दीप्तिरिष्टा पुष्टि कृषेष्ट मम पुष्कराया अस्चन विहंग शिशु विषन्ने दुष्कर्म धर्मीय चिराय दूर नारायण प्रणयनी नयनाबुवाहर्देवेति गुडध्वज सुंदरी शाकंभरी शिशेखर वल्लभेती सृष्टिस्थिति प्रलय केलिषु संस्थिताया तस्मस्त्रिभुवनकुरोस्तरुण्य शुते नमोस्तु शुभकर्म फल प्रसूत प्रत्यय नमोस्तु रमणीय गुणाय शक्य नमोस्तु शतपत्र निकेतनाय पुष्ट्य नमोस्तु पुषोत्तम वल्लभाय नमोस्तु नालीक निभाननाय नमोस्तु दुग्धोधन्मूम्य नमोस्तु सोमामृत सोदराय नमोस्तु नारायण वल्लभाय नमोस्तु हेमांबुजपीठिकाय नमोस्तु गोमंडलनायिकाय नमोस्तु देवादितयापराय नमोस्तु शांगायुधवल्लभाय नमोस्तु दै भृगुनंदनाय नमोस्तु विष्णोरुरसीताय नमोस्तु लक्ष्मी कमलाय नमोस्तु दामोदर वल्लभाय नमोस्तु कामलेक्षणा नमोस्तु भूतुवन प्रसूत नमोस्तु देवादिरचिताय नमोस्तु नंदात्मजवल्लभाय संपत्करा सकलेन्द्रियनंदना साम्राज्यदान विभवा सदौर्वाक्षी वंदना दुरीता हरणोद्यता मेवर निशंकलयंत मेंटाक्षसुपासना सेवक सकलाथसंपदनोति वचनांगमसैरारीदयेरी भजे सरसीजनल सरोज हस्ते धवरतमांशुकंधमाल्यशोभे भगवती हरिवल्लभे मनोज्ञे त्रिभुवन भूति करीद मह्यम दिग्रस्तिनकुंभ मुखावसृष्ट सर्वागिनी विमलचारुजलाप्लुतांगी प्रातर्नमा जगता जननी वशेष लोकाधिनाथिणी मुताी कमले कमलाक्षवल्लभे करुणापूरतरंगितैरपांग अवलोकयमाचनाथम पात्र कृत्रिम दयाया
च पार्वती देवी पिता देवो महेश्वर बांधवा शिव भक्त स्वदेशो भुवन ಭಕ್ತಿಯುಕ್ತ ಸಭವೇ ಸಾಕ್ಷಾತ್ 